In all areas, the UK continues to backtrack. The European Union argues that, that we, be, we should be subject to rules of the club that we have left. The precondition is the level playing field. Uh, we can deliver a real Brexit that achieves our objectives. But if there is not a deal, we still need the Irish Protocol or the Northern Irish Protocol fully implemented. I'm going to miss being the pantomime villain. Hello and welcome to Brexit Republic, RTE's weekly podcast on Brexit. I'm Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe Editor in Brussels. And I'm Colm O'Mungain, RTE's Deputy Foreign Editor here in Dublin. Each week, Brexit Republic brings you all the latest developments from London, Brussels and Dublin. This week, none other than Michel Barnier himself talks to Brexit Republic about what it was like to be the EU's chief negotiator for four years throughout those dark days of the backstop and the hard road to the deal before Christmas. Mr Barnier responds to the wailing and gnashing of teeth by UK exporters, fishermen and food producers who are drowning under Brexit red tape by pointing out that in actual fact, Brexit means Brexit. And we'll hear his take on this week's row about the UK's refusal to grant the EU delegation in London full diplomatic status. You will not be allowed to spoil us, Ambassador, for those who recall the Ferrero Rocher ads in the 1990s. Or was it the 1980s? I can't remember. Maybe it was both. It seems a long time ago. Tony, um, you tracked down your white whale, so to speak. Yeah. um, It took took a while. There have been doorsteps along the way. Yeah, we did. We did get one or two interviews with uh, the great man himself uh, during the the past four years. But uh, he was awarded the European of the Year award by the European Movement Ireland uh, on Thursday morning. Uh, now that was a an award that he was meant to receive back in December, but because obviously he was preoccupied with the small matter of concluding the free trade negotiations uh, it was delayed until this week and of course it was a virtual event he was in Brussels uh, but he did have the the crystal glass uh, vase in his office when I met him uh, uh, on Thursday afternoon to discuss uh, various brexit aspects um, so he, he was uh, in, in pretty good humour uh, he's obviously just turned 70 so he's due to retire from his European Commission uh, life, but he does uh, talk about going back to France and taking up some role in French politics. And he is actually, we can reveal here on Brexit Republic, he is writing a book uh, that will be out in April uh, about the Brexit negotiations. So uh, we shall await that particular literary event with bated breath. Uh, One suspects it will uh, perhaps unveil some uh, truths and gems of the past four years of negotiating not just the withdrawal agreement of course but also the uh, free trade negotiations as well right my my angst maybe my keep, angst keep keeping um, calm deep breaths what are the what are the titles good, 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 good frankly speaking would clock, be a good one the clock the clock is ticking um, yes if, if you get a, a chance and I know it's behind a paywall but the Financial Times has a wonderful long read today on the uh, Brexit negotiations and uh, has many uh, moments of dark angst, but also levity. Uh, and the best one is uh, a report by a British official about Michel Barnier shouting, I'm calm, uh, during <laughs> some of the more febrile moments of the of the negotiations. Uh, but he is now uh, in 2021 looking to a, a new 
post-Brexit future. Although, of course, as we know, Brexit is still with us and will be with us sometime uh, as the effects uh, unfold and uh, have their cause and effect on the population at large. I'll put you on the spot slightly. There's a picture on his wall of his team celebrating. Do you know if that was taken before or after the conclusion of the agreement. They're in fairly celebratory mode, so I'm going to take it it was after the conclusion of the agreement and they were all happy to be breaking up, although no masks or social distancing, so it was possibly... Yeah, I mean, I have, a, I, have an, I have a feeling that was a photo that was uh, back in the days of the withdrawal agreement. Ah, right, yeah. Um, it, 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 does, it does look pre-pandemic, all right. Pre-pandemic, yeah. People shamelessly getting in close and personal with each other. Yes. In, so, in closer uh, than a metre. Yeah. There's another picture on the on his wall of President Charles de Gaulle greeting someone on the steps of the Elysee Palace. And I'm just wondering, was that a young Michel Barnier himself? I didn't get close enough to, to look at it, but uh, it was obviously a significant moment for uh, Michel Barnier to have that picture in his office. Uh, so I can maybe do further inquiries on that for people listening. Uh, Mr. Barnier, congratulations on the awards today. Uh, we, we have seen in the past few weeks in the UK the, the real effects of, of Brexit. We've seen a lot of people complain about the bureaucracy. We've had the Scottish fishermen complaining about uh, paperwork and their shellfish not being able to reach the European market. Uh, people are saying that the UK must uh, almost negotiate with the EU to try and ease the situation. I, is that possible or is Brexit Brexit? All that is now in the past. First of all, thank you for your congratulations. Uh, just on this point, uh, about this award I received this morning from the European Movement in Ireland, it is a um, recognition of the collective work of my team, of the Commission, of the Member States. It is not a personal uh, achievement, it is a collective mm-hmm. achievement. Uh, I think in the, taking into account the interest of the EU and the 27 member states. Um, I look carefully what happened in the UK and also in in EU uh, because of the Brexit. But Brexit means Brexit. Uh, and I very often say the same thing for the last four years and a half. It cannot be, it will not be business as usual. And uh, um, we, we have worked a lot to reach this agreement on the Brexit, uh, economic and uh, trade Brexit. It's done, and now we have to implement this, this treaty. It will not be about ro- any kind of ro- renegotiations. We have to implement carefully, precisely, objectively, to find solution. If we can't find solution, respecting this treaty. The only point where we have to complement this treaty is about external policy, security, defense, uh, foreign policy, where the UK refused to negotiate last year. So it's open for new negotiation, the UK wish to and wants to negotiate, but for everything else, we have just to implement and to find technical solutions sometimes, but uh, it cannot be about uh, uh, any kind of cherry picking or renegotiation of the treaty. We, we have to implement the treaty now. So business organizations who have said, look, you know, we have some big EU companies working uh, in the UK, BMW, uh, Siemens. It's in the EU's interests to make life a bit easier for companies when it comes to rules of origin and so on. But every product entering in the EU will have to respect the the norms, the standards and the rule of origins. It's clear. 
Uh, and uh, clearly, Northern Ireland, which has been at the centre of your work for over four, year, four and a half years, uh, yes, everyone knew that there would be changes on the 1st of January. Everyone knew what the protocol uh, meant. But in, in real life, it looks like it's being really difficult for consumers, for businesses. Uh, do, do you think the British government knew exactly what it signed up to in October 2019? But um, when you look at what did that take now from the beginning of January and for, for some weeks or months, I can understand that we need some time to um, precise and to implement precisely and correctly some of the, 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 the provisions of the, the agreement. I think we have, a, I understand we need a time of adaptation everywhere for the business and in particular for the small businesses. But we cannot uh, work uh, in contradiction with the treaty. Huh? It is a treaty. Huh? It has to be respected. This one and the previous one also huh? about the, the, the Irish protocol. So, uh, as we did for the Irish protocol in the withdrawal agreement last year, despite uh, the threats of the UK governments at a certain time, uh, we found, we worked for to find and we found concrete operational solution for some key issues. So we are ready to do that, but not in any kind of contradiction with the treaty and the substance of the treaty. Huh? Well, for example, the, the rules of origin issue for goods that come from the EU single market, they go to a distribution hub in the UK and then they go, go into Ireland uh, and yet they would face but tariffs. As far as the rule of origin are concerned, and when you speak about the rule of origin, we are speaking about preserving and defending the jobs in the EU. Nothing else preserving and defending the jobs, our jobs for, in particular, young people in the EU. It is what is at stake when you speak about rural origin uh, and uh, import in the UK from everywhere in the, in the world. So uh, let me recall once, once again that every goods entering in single market will have and must respect the rule of origin regulations and also the norms for sanitary and the food security, uh, for instance. It, the, the rule is clear and we are speaking with a third country exporting goods without tariff and without quota the first time uh, that we negotiate very quickly with a third country offering at the beginning zero tariff zero quota but the, the standard the rules including the rule of origin must be respected to protect the citizens the consumers and the businesses in EU. So goods coming that may just be taken out of one box and put into another box and then sent on to Ireland under the treaty and under the rules it appears that those goods would then get a tariff even if they're produced in the Netherlands and go just through a, a warehouse in the UK Look, and end up in Dublin? Please, I don't want to comment in the details of this treaty. There is 1,400 1, pages. Look carefully. The, the competent people can give answers and uh, precise every, every line of the text, the, the rule of origin has been negotiated very carefully by the EU with the UK, the UK with the EU. Uh, there's no way to, to, to go further and to change this this, this, this point. I, once again, when you speak about the rule of origin, you speak about jobs in the EU. The uh, Irish issue dominated the withdrawal agreement. Uh, you were central to the backstop then the, the second, the revised protocol. Uh, did you at any time believe that the solidarity that was shown to Ireland by other member states, that that would uh, 
falter, that that would uh, weaken, uh, given how much was at stake and given that not every national capital might have been fully aware of the Irish peace process or the significance of the border? The answer to the question is uh, more global. From the day one of the negotiation, the EU27 reaffirm and reaffirm every week or every month their solidarity. That means that each concern of a specific member states has been taken into account from the day one to the last day. I can give you many examples, in addition of the Irish example, uh, Finland with, with aviation, uh, the eastern country with a non-discrimination clause for the workers, uh, uh, Cyprus for the British bases, military bases in, 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 in the middle of Cyprus, uh, Spain with Gibraltar, and obviously, first of all, uh, Ireland with the peace uh, and the, 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 the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, so so I did not see along this long story of negotiation any problem for this unity and to respect this principle because it, 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 it had been applied at every and each member states in many occasions, not only for Ireland. Now this morning there's been reporting about the status of the EU ambassador in London uh, and the delegation there, the UK apparently not wanting to grant it full embassy status. W what is your own personal view of that, given how closely you've worked with the British government, with David Frost, with David Davis, over, over the, the past few years? Now, I made this point uh, several times with the British uh, negotiator, David Frost, uh, in the last few months. Uh, I know that the temptation of some British leaders is to speak about the EU as an international organization, but we, we are much more than an international organization that the UK knows that fact quite well. So I hope, I just want to say that I hope they, it will be wise from the UK, UK side to find a clever solution for this p diplomatic point. Huh? I mean, what would the implications be if they say, no, that's it, it's just going to be regarded like any other international organization? Well, just a jump to repeat that I, it will be wise from the UK to find a clever solution at this point. Okay. Now you're, you're uh, leaving your role as Chief Brexit Negotiator. Uh, what yes, because the negotiation is over. The clock has stopped ticking. Yeah, <laughs> um, w was there a moment in the past four years or perhaps in the past year since the trade negotiation started where you felt it was a hopeless situation that there would not be a deal? Uh, frankly speaking, several times it was so difficult that uh, uh, it would have been possible to not to reach a deal uh, once for... The, the withdrawal agreement, in particular when Theresa May failed to, to find uh, support of the House of Commons three times, huh? uh, three years ago, two years ago. And uh, last year, uh, one or two times, uh, the, 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 the gap was so large between us, not only in fishery, that uh, it would have been possible not to reach a deal. But uh, um, the President Ursula von der Leyen did not want to, to close the door, never, and we need not. We never close the door to the Brits, and we have been always ready to continue. So, uh, finally, I, I thought that uh, a, a trade deal, and this deal is much more than a trade deal, was so important for both sides, in particular for the UK, but not only for the UK, that it was um, it has been a 
common interest to reach a deal. And so it was always my, my conviction as a politician, speaking with politicians like Boris Johnson, that it was uh, necessary to reach a deal. Finally, the uh, Northern Ireland Protocol, which was so central to your work, uh, is now up and running. It's proving difficult for businesses and consumers, uh, as I mentioned. It's politically very difficult for some parties like the, the DUP, who you've met here in Brussels uh, on many occasions. Not only, not only in Brussels. Not only in Brussels, but, but, in but also in, in Belfast, that, that's true. And, and, and in Derry, you, you visited there as well. Um, but in, in four years' time, the Northern Ireland Assembly will have the opportunity to vote on uh, the main provisions of the protocol um, if life turns out to be not as pleasant as people thought it would be in this new arrangement, the Assembly could say, right, we, we don't accept this anymore, then the problem, we're back at square one with the Irish border. What, in your view, might happen then? First, um, everybody know precisely the content for a long time of this protocol. Um, two, uh, we have worked a lot with the Brits and the authority uh, of the Northern Ireland, the elected people, the responsibility of Northern Ireland to find concrete operational solutions to the main concern of the UK sides to implement this protocol, which is, I recognize, complex, but uh, operational to uh, square the cycle, huh? uh, peace and the protection of the respect of the Good Friday Agreement, all Ireland economy, cooperation between the two sides and also the protection of the single market. And finally, we reached with Boris Johnson a deal which is able to be workable in the long time. Um, so now this, this protocol is uh, implemented. We have to follow carefully. I, my, my personal conviction, and it was my speech, remember, in Dairy and London Dairy, meeting the business community, that uh, it, 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 this protocol is, in, in fact, uh, um, if it's correctly implemented, a progress for Northern Ireland and will bring progress as, as well for the, all the island. So um, we will see in four years, and I think at that time everybody will have to take its responsibility. Do you have one final memory of your time visiting Ireland and dealing with the Irish uh, question, one memory that stands out? Yes, yes. Uh, 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 when I met this group of women, uh, uh, it was uh, not, not, not far from uh, uh, Derry and Londonderry, just on the border. It was a private meeting, very moving, and uh, I do not forget what they told me at that time. Uh, uh, we, 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 it's the reason why I said so often that, uh, speaking of Ireland, uh, during this negotiation, it was not only about, uh, not first about uh, goods, uh, uh, trade or economy, but about people, the peace and the people, uh, the men and the women in this, uh, this island. Huh? Michel Barnier, thanks, thanks very much for your time. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. All the best. So that was Michel Barnier. The women of Ireland left quite the impression on him, Tony, more specifically the women, the women of the Derry area. Yeah, well, it, it turns out that I think he may have been somewhat mistaken geographically uh, because I was told by uh, his uh, spokesman afterwards that that was actually a meeting 
uh, near Dungannon uh, with a, a, a women's group uh, in Dungannon who, who met him for a private meeting near uh, the border or right on the border. Uh, and, um, you know, they obviously had made quite an impression, um, quite an emotional meeting that they had with him talking about the risks of Brexit and the risks of the conflict returning. And that was one uh, key memory that he had. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot that he said there which is worth parsing and, and going into in a bit more detail. Um, clearly, this idea that Brexit means Brexit, this is the new reality, it's going to affect uh, people in the UK, it's going to affect people in Northern Ireland. Although he did say that the Northern Ireland Protocol was a... Would bring progress to Northern Ireland in that it did square the circle of the Irish border, even in a very painful way for a lot of people at the moment. Uh, and there is obviously the potential for Northern Ireland to take advantage of its ability to trade directly into um, the single market, not mm. just into the to, to the Republic to the South, but also to the to the EU yeah. as a whole. I heard Again, Ar- I heard Arlene Foster being asked about that on BBC's BBC Four's Today program uh, during the week. She was asked about um, the Northern Ireland Protocol, and she was saying she was very unhappy with it. And then she was in turn asked, "Then, but what a, you're going to do very well under Brexit?" And she said, "Yes, I'm delighted. That's why we voted for it." And then she was reminded by the presenter that well, the only reason they were going to do well out of it was because of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Yeah, I mean, clearly at the moment, Northern Ireland is. Uh, uh, getting to grips with the, the protocol and the, you know, the, I, I suppose the same problems that are facing uh, supermarket chains in in the south, uh, the, in the north, you have this problem of GB suppliers not having really been prepared to deal with uh, the food safety, animal health regulations, uh, customs declarations, VAT. Uh, all of the paperwork problems, the IT systems problems. Um, it's slightly eased in Northern Ireland, if you like, because they do have two grace periods, one, one uh, a three-month grace period, whereby uh, export health certificates for products of animal origin coming from GB to Northern Ireland are not necessary uh, for most uh, importers. Um, and then a six-month derogation uh, on the chilled prepared meats, sausages, mints, and so on. Um, the three-month grace period is is it. I mean, that the, the UK declared in a declaration in December that they would not seek an extension to that, uh, although obviously a lot of people are saying that they should, um, but they, they've made a solemn declaration that they won't. The six-month declaration on the other prepared meats, mints, sausages, and so on, you know, it's possible they might look for another extension there. But I think the overall message from the European Commission is, look, you know, they're, 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 it can't simply be the way it was before. Brexit does bring about this very brutal paradigm shift in the way Northern Ireland trades with GB uh, and how GB trades with Europe. Uh, and that's a reality that people are going to have to mm. get used to. And the rules of origin you were asking, that you were asking Michel Barnier about just there, you were kind of asking, well, you know, was there any tweaks if people returned to the well, if they showed that there were problems with how the rules of origin rules were actually manifesting themselves in, as we discussed in quite a bit of detail, the the Percy Pig dilemma of things being reboxed in warehouses in the UK. Could that be really looked at? He seemed to be pretty final about that. That's that's not for reopening. Well, um, it, it, it wasn't entirely clear to me um, whether he was 
talking about the rules of origin in general, which is really hitting a lot of uh, UK exporters to uh, to the EU uh, across the board. And, you know, we've heard of a lot of companies that are simply not going to trade anymore. Uh, ju- just this evening, uh, a big Cheshire cheese company has said that they're just not going to trade into the EU anymore. It's a huge loss to them. They simply can't cope with the... SPS rules, uh, the sanitary and phytosanitary rules, and uh, the paperwork that uh, goes along with that. Um, the the particular problem of the rules of origin and stuff getting reboxed or consolidated when it passes through Great Britain on its way back into the EU and Ireland, if it say comes from Germany or France or the Netherlands, I have a feeling that that is going to be looked at uh, because. These are EU products that are simply passing through the UK to get to another part of the EU and they're being hit by tariffs when they arrive because of this problem of they lose their EU origin status once they're opened from the box and and put in a warehouse. Um, Now, of course, there are ways around that. You can ship the goods directly by ferry to Ireland or you can send the goods over by transit, meaning they're in a sealed container. But that could be expensive and, you know, people say that in the food industry, margins are very low and uh, any big expense like this could just put a company out of business or put a supply chain uh, beyond its rational uh, operation. Um, but I think, you know, uh, from what I gather, there there are people in the commission looking at this to see if there are ways around it. Because in a sense, you could say that EU companies are being disadvantaged by this, um, whereas a company in the UK could quite easily send stuff into Ireland without any tariffs um, if, if that if those goods are just made in the UK and sent over uh, the Irish Sea. Um, that puts EU companies in the continental mainland at a disadvantage. So you could say that, that that's something that they would want to look at. Right. Just before we wrap today, we want to get into the idea of this, um, the status of the EU's diplomatic representation to the UK. I heard David O'Sullivan, the former EU ambassador to the US, discussing this on Morning Ireland this morning. And he seemed to agree with the view that this was petty and small-minded. Yeah, I mean, this this has really taken people by surprise. Now, th- this issue has been around for a while, and but it didn't really break the surface until this week when, when the BBC leaked a letter from Joseph Burrell, who's the... Um, the EU's uh, foreign policy chief. That, that was something the EU's foreign uh, policy division, the EEAS, would come under his uh, his authority. And he wrote to Dominic Raab saying that uh, this is this is not acceptable. The EU is not simply an international organisation. It has a much different legal character. It, it produces laws. It has its own currency. Uh, and of course, when the EEAS, uh, the European External Action Service, was created, uh, the UK was a member. It agreed to the way it was created. It agreed to the whole idea that the EU should have embassies around the world and should have ambassadors around the world. And now the UK would be the only country in the world that has not granted uh, the EU um, full diplomatic status. Uh, and the you know, people being, are trying to figure out dodgier regimes would follow suit and treat this as the trigger or excuse to also downgrade relations with the EU. Yes, that's right. And, you know, in certain countries that could put EU uh, diplomats at risk, uh, according to some of the thinking on the EU side, uh, and it it creates a a very difficult precedent for the EU when it is 
operating uh, across the globe uh, if the UK suddenly downgrades its uh, status or refuses to give it the status that it gets elsewhere. Of course, David O'Sullivan was on Morning Ireland uh, recalling the time that Donald Trump uh, downgraded his, um, I suppose, his... It, it wasn't exactly the diplomatic status of the EU embassy in Washington. It was the Washington. pecking order it, of his It was the pecking order. Yeah. yeah, it was the protocol and the pecking order was downgraded to put uh, David O'Sullivan at the, the back of the queue. Um, and, and this caused uh, quite a substantial diplomatic uh, spat, which he reversed in the end uh, and he restored uh, David O'Sullivan to uh, his rightful place at the time as right. being somewhere closer to the head of the queue. I'm sure he won't mind me uh, saying that. But um, yeah, and it's, I mean, another theory is that the UK will want over time to strengthen bilateral relations with individual EU member states and uh, that if they downgrade the EU's embassy in London, uh, that might uh, you know, facilitate that process given that individual member states do have their right. own embassies in uh, in London. Okay, finally, finally, Tony, both of us are speaking into microphones. However, neither of us are swinging them from two metre long cables around the stage and screaming to an adoring crowd. Well, not, not on this end anyway. Can you think of a singer, perhaps, of a popular 1960s beat combo who used to perform like that on stage? Irish. British. British. Known Tom Jones. His, known for his microphone swinging and his windmill guitar accompaniment by Pete Townsend. Oh, um, Roger Daltrey. Roger Daltrey, indeed. Yeah, apologies to Tom Jones. Fans Roger Daltrey signed, uh, your, your starter for 10, Tony, Roger Daltrey signed what letter this week? He signed a letter complaining about the free trade agreement, the TCA, as we should be calling it, the trade and cooperation agreement between the EU and UK, which... Uh, has made life very difficult for musicians and artists and sports persons and not forgetting journalists right. in general because the um they they are falling foul of the work visa issue of course when britain was a member of the eu musicians artists sports persons and journalists could travel freely and work freely and have no problems at all mm. when they were moving around the EU. But then and, they left, uh, which versa. necessitated this left. vexatious treaty. And, and who is in yeah. favour of them leaving, Tony? Roger Daltrey. <laughs> None other. None other than Roger It's a legal matter, baby, as The Who once sang, but I'm not going to sing that no, let's, uh, right he, here. He spoke to Sky News back at the time of his opposition to Brexit. It'd be rude not to hear from him. Uh, Brexit looks like it's getting further and further oh, away. God, is, know, is, is it going to be bad for, for British rock music? No, I do the rock business. What's it called? It's rock business. <laughs> oh dear, as if we didn't tour in Europe before the fucking EU. Oh, give it up. <laughs> <laughs> On that <Right>. note, <laughs> give it up. Uh, thank, thank you very you. much, Betty. That's great. We're going to go. If you want to try not to be ruled by a fucking mafia, you do it. <laughs> like being governed by FIFA. There we go. Roger Daltrey got fooled again. I suppose might be one way of looking at it. Meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. I think we'll play yeah. out with the Who this week, will we? That's it from Good me, Colm O'Mungo, and RTE's deputy foreign editor in Dublin. And Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe editor in Brussels. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>